Okay, so here we are with chapter number two in our series, What Happened in India. If you've been following along, that's great. Otherwise, if you like, you can go back and listen to the first chapter. This is the second chapter that we are talking about today. And as it was in our story, I just started going to the Osho International Meditation Resort, and I was trying to <laughs> trying to get with the program. <laughs> and as it turned out, I actually got sick again, and I had to have a few days off. So it was very tricky to sort of adjust to the food and the climate and... When I was there, it was actually midsummer, so very hot, very harsh conditions. And after some time, I did start to talk to some people. I did, did start to make some friends. Like one Indian lady came up to me and said, oh, we should be great friends. And we had lunch together and spoke about all sorts of things. And we became good friends after that. And I made friends with one old guy who'd been going to the resort for the last 40 years or something, and he'd actually known Osho when he was in the body, as they say. <laughs> and I also got to meet Osho's personal physician, so that was really interesting. He's quite a character. And I remember the first time I met him, I sort of just sat down at the cafe somewhere, and I was just like, you've got to tell me what on earth was it like? What was going on? You were there for everything. And he sort of, he sort of just downplayed it. He sort of just brushed it off. And I was like, oh, you must be some sort of a, a star around here or something. And he was just like, no, no, none of that, you know. So there was no, there was no ego. There was no sort of full of himself. And, and I mean, there's a lot of controversy around the guy anyway, which I didn't really know about. And I still don't really know about and, you know, throughout my time, I actually interacted with that guy a couple of times. And, I mean, all I can really say is <laughs> he's a hell of a character, hell of a character. Very, very powerful soul, that one. So, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to name names. I've probably already said too much, but, yeah, I mean, he's got much harsh, much worse critics than me. I'm not. I'm not criticizing him at all. So, <laughs> but I do remember one other thing that I asked him, which was very important, which was that I sat, sat down with him one night at dinner or something. And I said, have I missed it? Right? Because Osho was this master of masters guru who had this huge visionary movement and he was here and, well, now he's dead, right? 30 years ago, he died. Long before I was even born. Well, not long before, just before I was born. And, and I said, well, have I missed it? And he understood what I meant, right? He could see what I was trying to say. Like, you know, there was this big thing and now there's just remnants left over of it. 
It's just sort of this this weaker version. Like, is is what I'm seeing around me in this resort just a weak, faint sort of hint of what it was like when Osho was really there? And he turned to me and he looked right at me and he said, it's got nothing to do with Osho. It's only got to do with you. And he went on to explain that this idea of the spiritual hierarchy or the consciousness hierarchy, like there's this thing where you go in and then you go up and you progress, is utter nonsense. He said there's no reason why someone can't walk in that front gate and on the very first day, in the very first moment, just get it. They just get it. They just know. They can't explain it, but they just know. And he also said that there were people who had personal access to Osho when he was alive and would live with him and sit at his feet in the front row of Buddha Hall when he was giving his discourses. And they did this for years. And they still didn't get it. It still didn't click. They still didn't even meditate. Like, how is that possible? I have no idea. But apparently it is possible. And when I look at some of the sort of cultural ripplings and some of the things that are said around the mania of Osho, I can see how, yes, it's very clear that some people just don't get it. You're not listening. It's not clicking. You're a stonehead. You're a stone wall in some ways. So that was very significant to hear this guy say this to me. And And he sort of brought it back to me. He said, well, what is it like when you listen to these discourses, right? Because we'd been going into the hall each night to hear the movie or the discourse. And I was just like, oh, it's just an explosion. So much is opening up. And of course, later, you know, I learned a little bit more about listening meditation and those sorts of things. So there's There's actual science behind the meditative processes happening now. I don't have too much time to go into this. I'm trying to stick with the narrative and not make this too much about an explanation of (laughs) meditative techniques. But that was significant. That was a significant sort of interaction or conversations. And there were other people around that I would notice. And um, one guy really stuck out to me because... He was this Indian guy who was there all day, every day, every time that I was there. And I was like, I was like struggling to just do, you know, three or four meditations per day. And he was somehow managing to just do all of them. And, you know, sometimes I'd have to, you know, have a half day or, you know, have a, have a day off. I'm just going to rest for a day. I'm going to have an easy day. I'm not going to go to that meditation. I'm just going to, you know, go in the pool or something. And yet somehow he was just doing it. I was like, where do you get the energy? Where do you get the strength? Like, damn, some of these meditations, they're really challenging. They're really sort of, sort of just, oh, you know, you've got to put a lot in to get them. And I actually found out later that he'd been doing that for three years. 
He'd been going there every day for three years. So I was just like, oh. And and as it turned out in the long run, as the story unfolded, he actually kept doing it every day that I was there for the whole 10 months or whatever it was that I was there. So just like, you know, seeing someone like that and realizing that I'm a small fish in a big pond, right? I've I've got my my ante. I've got to up my game, right? Because because back home in Australia, it was like, well, no one knows about consciousness. No one knows about meditation. No one knows about like complex philosophical and psychological models. You know, all the people around me, they're just completely unaware of these things. It's like I'm I'm in a in a certain way a lot more educated or understanding of those sorts of things but you know in in that resort it was like okay that's cute right you're just a beginner and you've got a lot to learn and there are people who are around these things for years people who are aware of these things and it's just like don't get too don't get too cocky you know don't get too smart about yourself so my whole attitude my whole attitude was to assume these people knew more than me. It was to assume that I'm the student. I'm there to learn. I'm there to discover things that I don't know or understand. Things that are outside my realm of understanding. So that was very important. And another thing that would sometimes happen is, you know, I'd be walking around this resort and every now and then I'd see someone that would just sort of be standing in a corner or like off off to one side in the garden. And you'd see them and they'd have this kind of air about them. They'd have this kind of stroke of spirit just floating around. It's a little bit abstract, a little bit mystical. And I remember one time like looking at one of these per- persons and just... You know, thinking, well, what what trip are they on? You know, like, where 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 have they gone to? Sort of thing. And I turn to my friend and and I say, what's up with them? And they say, oh, they're doing Mystic Rose. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, maybe that explains a little bit of it. And I had heard about Mystic Rose before, but to actually see that it was happening here was something else. And basically, Mystic Rose is a three-week course, which Osho invented. And in the first week, you do three hours of laughing. (laughs) Three hours non-stop of laughing every day for a week. Then in the second week, you do three hours of crying. Three hours non-stop of crying every day for a week. And then in the last week, it's silence. And I knew about this. I had heard about it, right? Because I had studied a little bit of Osho before getting there. And I just thought, that that's too much. I'm not doing that. I can't do that. That is just, that is just impossible, right? I, it was, it's just like, it's, it's physically impossible to do that. I couldn't see in any way how anyone could do that. And it was just like, I mean, especially the crying, right? Like, I just I just don't cry. It's just not part of what I do. I just can't cry. I wouldn't know how to do that. And to actually see these people, and I eventually even 
went up to one of them and I said, you know, like you're, you're doing mystic rose. Like you're actually doing it. Like, how is that possible? How can you do that? And, and one, one Indian guy, I remember I asked him like when he was in crying week, I said, how is that possible? And he just, he just sort of looked at me and he just like, he was just like, there's so much pain. And I was just like, you know, like I felt it. I was just like, oh man, he's going for it. And so basically I was <laughs> just trying to get with the program, with the normal sort of ABC sort of meditations. I was like, you know, there's there's some bigger stuff out there. I don't really need to do that. That's not really enough. That's too much for me. It's not really... You know, that's beyond my skill grade. That's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> it's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But, yeah. So, probably the f- one of the first things I got roped into, in, in some ways unknowingly, was one guy's group where I was sort of just a stand-in. And he didn't explain much about it to me. He just said, we enter into an energy field and we move around from each other. And I understood that. And I had learned about family constellations before going there. And and I went into this group as sort of like a, you know, a test dummy or a punching bag to sort of have things bounce off and support other members. And... I don't want to say too much about it because there is confidentiality, but basically I ended up somehow wrestling with seven full full-sized men, right? And we were doing this while, you know, this row of gorgeous women was standing in front of us. And you know, and these were women from all over the world. This was like, you know, an American, an Indian, a Japanese or Taiwanese and, you know, a German and like, you know, just, just multicultural lineup there. And, and we sort of just wrestled and we sort of had it unfurl into this thing, which actually ended up turning into this group hug. And it was all about this one guy who was dealing with his family issues and what it meant to have men support him. And we actually came together to support him and actually hold him and actually be strong as men. And I realized in that moment that men need to be strong. Men need to support each other. And I was standing there in this group holding these men to support this guy and the facilitator turned right to me and she looked me right in the eye and she pointed at me and she said, What happened to your father? When she when she said that, it just it just hit me. It hit me so hard. And I said, my father died. He died when I was 18. 
and he was a weak man. I didn't think very highly of him. I wished he could be strong. And she said, was he an alcoholic? And I said, no, no, he wasn't. But his father was, and my father on the, my grandfather on the other side of my family was also. And they were alcoholics because they were in war. And that's exactly the point, which is that men have been broken by war and alcohol. Men have just been completely destroyed. And it goes back generations. And the implications filter through to these later generations. We're still trying to pick up the pieces. So, I also had my sexual frustration hung out to dry. (laughs) All in the space of about 10 minutes, right? So... Very intense stuff. Very powerful stuff. And over the next few weeks, I did get roped into a few different groups and a few different little things where I found myself in rather confronting situations which led me to have rather important realizations. And the sensitivity that grew from that really opened up, like like this whole thing of encountering another person became very sensitive. Like when one person walks towards another person, there's something that's changing, there's something that is unfolding. And when you talk with another person, there's something that's happening. There's something that's coming up. And, you know, I had encounters of life and death. I had encounters of existing and not existing. I had encounters of hate and love. I had encounters of betrayal, abandonment, pain, and also beauty, care, warmth, and support. And, of course, I can't go into the details. These are personal things to the people that I was involved with. So I've probably probably already stepped close enough to that line of confidentiality with what I've said. But the effect was that the way I was moving around started to change. And I realized that it wasn't just in the therapy room that these sensitivities were starting to grow. It was also just walking around, right? Just sitting down with someone at lunch or just meeting someone new or just, you know, talking to someone. And, you know, when you're in a resort like that and there's people coming and going it's it's a very different game because it's like well do you say hello to someone or do you not you said hello to someone yesterday do you say hello again today or not maybe they're busy maybe they're in a different space do you have something to talk about 
maybe not. So that sort of openness to other people was starting to change for me. It was starting to become something different. You know, I was very, I was very nervous when I first got there. I was very sort of wanting to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do meditation, stick to myself. No one come near me because I'm serious meditator. Yeah. Sort of, you know, there was a little bit of that going on, but at least I was able to sort of through these groups that I was involved in, start to have that break up and start to have that open up. And eventually I did enroll in a course. I did the Osho No Mind course. So that was a week-long course, one week, and it was two hours each day. The first hour was gibberish talking, and the second hour was silence directly after the gibberish. So that taught me a lot about the mind. That taught me a lot about the voice. And actually, even to this day, I still use gibberish as a technique. It's still one of the seminal, foundational techniques that I use for voice and mind awareness. So it's very powerful and it's really amazing that I was able to receive that in such an important environment, in such a environment where where the importance of it was able to be illustrated to me. I was able to experience it deeply to say, ah, this is something of worth, this is something of value. So, yeah, and then, you know, sometimes I just, like, sit down by the side of the pool and then, you know, some some Indian guy would sit down next to me and, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really have small talk. It wouldn't be like, oh, what's your name, where you're from, you know, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I had a lot of conversations which were like, oh, what's your name? Uh, where are you from? Oh, Australia, the land of kangaroos, very far away. You know, like this sort of, how long are you here for? Why did you want to come? You know, like this sort of conversation is just like, uh, you know, once I had had about, I think, 500 of those, <laughs> I was just like, okay, I don't want to have this conversation anymore. <laughs> and then this this one Indian guy that I've been thinking of was like, well, sometimes it's not always like that because I sat down and he sat down next to me and we just started talking and he he didn't even ask my name. You know, I, w- I wouldn't even ask him and we wouldn't really even need to. And it was just like, he'd say things like, you know, a thousand books minimum is what you have to read. Six months of meditation minimum is what you need. And it's just like, I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, damn, this kid is probably, you know, in his early 20s. And he's got like, you know, these massive biceps, slim guy, but strong. It's just like, man, if I was to fight you, you could probably tear my head off, right? And yet, and yet so soft, right? so soft spoken right it's a, it's a it's a striking combination to have someone who's like really strong physically and yet really soft in what they're projecting out you know often it's often it's the opposite right you have a meathead who's really strong 
or you have someone who's weak, who's really pushing out. Like right now, right now, as I'm saying this to you, I'm talking in a very sort of protruding sort of way. It's very much a like kind of talk. And that's, that's just the style that we're in at the moment. You know, I do sometimes talk soft. Sometimes I do bring my voice down, but to see it in this guy and to see him say these sorts of things. And it's like, wow, you're already at this resort. You're already starting to figure it out. And it's just like, wow, small fish in a big pond. I've got a lot to catch up. I've got a lot to learn. And then sometimes, sometimes in those first few weeks, I would see someone turn up at the resort who was just like, it's so obvious that they had been there before and they'd been there for a long time and they'd been really just participating. And and it would it would just be like, like, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> I couldn't believe what, like the sorts of things that would happen with this person, right? There is a particular person in mind that I have, but when I think about it more generally, there are there are multiple people who would sort of fit that sort of bill. It's just like, you know, and, and you know, it's like Treya says in her book, if you want to know what the result of a place is, look at how the people who have been there for a while, look at how they are. Look at what they do. Look at their quality of being. And I was sort of looking at some of these people and just just, ah, oh, just being sort of starstruck, even though even though there was nothing really special about them, right? It was still very mundane stuff that you would see. You know, we're walking around. We're going to the cafe. We go to the cafeteria. We go to the pool. It's all, in a sense, very mundane sort of things. But, yeah, it's... Well, I guess it's mystical, right? You can't... You can't put words to the mystical. There's something in there that you can't really describe. So... Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like... When you see someone who's completely outside your realm of understanding and you don't try and analyze them or fit them into some psychological model, then that allows them to be so much more within you. That allows them to have a very powerful impression on you. And... After a month or so, probably maybe a couple of months, I did know mind and I thought, well, that's that was good because I could see what it was like to do a course because I'd sort of done enough of the daily meditations to get a bit of a hang of that and to just sort of see, okay, that's what it's like. I still couldn't you know, keep up with the program all day, every day, but I was able to explore and just come and go quite easily. And... Another thing I started was some music. So that was uh, that was a funny little thing. Maybe I'll say a little bit more about it in the later chapters. But I started doing music because there was the band that was playing. 
And I was just sort of look, looking at this band thinking, ah, oh, I'm better than that. I could do that, you know, just getting a little bit cocky. And then, and then the funny thing, of course, is, you know, going to try and do it and realizing, oh, okay, maybe I can't do it. Because up until that stage, I hadn't played music in like eight years. I haven't even, I hadn't even touched a piano or a drumstick in like eight years. So I was very rusty, very rusty indeed. But I did get to play a bit and I did start to sort of get my chops back. You know, it took a couple of weeks and it was some back and forth. And I also had to figure out, you know, the other musicians and the style of music because it's its own genre. And eventually, over time, I was able to sort of get to the point where it was like, it was like, okay, you know, like, like really bad musicians doing okay. That's how I would put it. <laughs> and of course, some of the people were just like, whoa, you've improved so much. Wow. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's slowly starting to come back. And as it comes back, it's still just like a smithering of what I used to be back in the day, you know, back in my, back in my jazz school days. <laughs> so yeah to sort of to sort of have the music starting and to sort of feel like uh, I'm playing in this sort of not very good band but but at least it's fun at least I'm talking to some people right at least I'm making some new friends so that was sort of the beginning of a thread that was to unru- unravel in in a very significant way and it was when I look back at it very significant that I was able to reintroduce myself to music or to be introduced again to music like what an important thing is music what an amazing thing and and you know the truth of it is I do have talent I do have skills as a musician it's just that you know through life I have been beaten up I've been hurt I've been unable to get my act together. I've been interested in other things, you know. It's not always that I'm hurt. It's sometimes it's just that I want to do something else. I have too many interests in life to just do music. But I was finding the more I was there, the more my creativity was starting to grow and to really come forth in a positive way. So music was part of that. And <laughs> I'll start to probably develop that thread as the story unfolds because a lot did happen with my music while I was there. And I did make some more friends. I did start to see more of the place and I did get involved in... (laughs) I did get involved in some of the groups and one of the groups was actually... Mystic Rose. So, despite my fear, despite my resistance, I did actually go through with it. But we're going to have to save that for the next chapter. So, thanks very much. Stay tuned, and we'll be back soon with the next chapter in this series. And that's all I have to say for now.